you can open up your Bible to the book of Proverbs, chapter 9. That's where we're going to be this morning. Uh, we, for a few weeks now, have been in the book of Proverbs, and we're going to be in it uh, several more uh, as we roll through the summer. Um, we are doing this a little bit different. We're going not necessarily like chapter by chapter, uh, but we are doing more theme by theme. This book sets it up. Uh, it's set up better to do that. So we're in chapter 9 this week. We'll probably bounce back a little bit and forward uh, as the summer goes on. So I just wanted you to know that as we're not going through this book exactly like we normally do and like we may prefer uh, to go uh, verse by verse and chapter by chapter. But we are in Proverbs 9 uh, this morning, and we'll look at most of that chapter together. Uh, you'll see why uh, when we read this in a moment, but this week this text was having me think about something I've seen depicted, and you probably have too, in a lot of either like cartoons or television shows or movies, and it's this, this visual of someone who's having these internal struggles and trying to think about what to do and what's right and what's wrong, and they have these, on one shoulder they'll have an angel sitting that maybe looks like them on the other shoulder they'll have a devil looking or an evil being that looks a little bit like them as well who are each uh, vying for the attention and the allegiance of that person uh, and there's there's reason that's become a common depiction because there's reality to that that we each experience that we feel this struggle we feel this pull in multiple directions and uh, even though that thing that we see in art is depicting something that happens in our own mind what we're going to see in the Bible, this text in particular, but in the whole Bible, is that this struggle is not just within, but there are actual voices outside of us who are vying for our attention. There are voices who are calling for us to listen to them, to follow what they are telling us to do, to go where they are telling us to go. And we're going to see a very vivid depiction of that this morning in Proverbs chapter 9. But what we're going to see here is it's nothing new when Solomon's writing this and telling his sons these, this story in Proverbs 9. This has been something that's two voices speaking. has been true from the beginning of time. If you go back to the very beginning of the Bible, you read in Genesis, the first few chapters, that for Adam and Eve, there are two voices that are speaking very clearly to them. There's their creator who speaks first to them, who gives them commands like to be fruitful and multiply. And he says, I've given you all of the trees of this garden to eat, but do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so they have his voice speaking very clearly to them, but God allows a serpent to come into the garden, doesn't he? And what that serpent does is he speaks to them. He starts to, to cast doubt. The, the Bible says that he's crafty and he comes up to them and to Eve in particular, but it seems like Adam's listening in and says, did God actually say not to eat of that tree? And they hear this voice coming to them, calling them to doubt and to disbelieve and to disobey the very clear voice of God. And so that struggle has been real in human beings throughout time, from the first human beings down through every single one of you in this room, that there are two voices, there are two camps who are calling out to us to listen to them, to follow what they would have us to, uh, have us to do. And so what we're going to look at in Proverbs 9 this morning is this poetic picture of that, of that reality of these two voices who are vying for us to listen to them. There's going to be two women that are depicted. Uh, one's going to be called Wisdom and one's going to be called Folly. And where we're at in Proverbs, this is the kind of a turning point in Proverbs. The first nine chapters are these poems where the father is trying to, in general, like call his kids, his sons in particular, like you need to be wise and you need to be careful of foolishness. And he's been sharing all these poems in kind of uh, picturesque terms. But starting in chapter 10, what comes right after this is just going to be like rapid fire, machine gun style like statements of do this, don't do this, be careful of this, like watch out for this, 
just till the end of the book, statement after statement after statement. So this is like the last appeal, the last before the sons are going to be taught, before the people are going to be taught from Proverbs of how to live wisely. This is the last call to want wisdom in general, to, to orient your life towards listening to wisdom. And so there's going to be these picturesque images here of these two ladies. This isn't the first time they've shown up in the book. If you have time to read through Proverbs, if you go back into early chapters, there's been poems that have talked about these ladies before. Uh, but you see these kind of summarize their message, summarize their uh, calling out to the young, but really to all human beings and why uh, we should listen to them. I hope it goes without saying that these are not actual ladies, okay? There was not an actual lady named Wisdom in Solomon's day who was saying this stuff, and there was not an actual lady named Folly who he's describing. These are to be, there's what literary people would call personifications of these things, right? Of wisdom that's uh, given legs and feet and a mouth to, and, and envision as doing certain things, and then foolishness has done the same now, I was thinking with it being July 4th weekend, maybe a good example that we're more familiar with this personification would be the Statue of Liberty. Okay, it's the Statue of Liberty, Lady Liberty, some people call her, is not an actual person, right? She is a statue who just stands there, holds up her little torch, and has her crown on outside New York. She's not doing anything, right? She's not moving, her mouth's not speaking, but she is to symbolize liberty and freedom, right? When you look at her, she's to symbolize that. And we've even given some sense of like words to her, right? That poem that is there, uh, where part, the most famous part says, like, give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to be free. Like we almost like imagine her speaking, but she's representing liberty. She's representing freedom. And these ladies that we're going to see about here, they're not real ladies, but they are representing real things of wisdom and of foolishness. And we're going to see them speaking as representatives of that, calling people uh, to listen to them. And these are voices that we all hear. And we're going to see they make invitations. They make a call out to us. And so I want to read with you uh, verses 1 through 6 first. And then we'll jump down in a little while to verses 13 to 18. These are two poems that are they're very, very, very similar on purpose. There's a, a part in between that we won't have as much time to look at, the verses 7 through 12. But the first six verses and last, last six verses are very similar on purpose, painting very different pictures of who these ladies are and what they are calling us to do. And the main point we're going to see from this text is very simple. It is to listen to the wise even while you hear the voice of the fools. To listen to the wise even while you hear the voice of the fools. So follow along with me. First we're going to hear from Lady Wisdom verses 1 through 6. This is how Solomon uh, records her and what she is saying or doing. It says that wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beasts. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in the town. Whoever's simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, Come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine I've mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. 
So we'll stop there for now. We'll look at Lady Folly and how she appeals to people and her approach uh, here in just a few minutes. But I think there's a lot that we can see from, from this passage right here of why we are called to listen to the wise, listen to those who are wise. You see this depiction of Lady Wisdom here, and you see that when it comes to inviting people, she does a lot of preparation, doesn't she? It says that she built a house. Okay, again, this is not a real woman, but this is the picture. She is building an entire house. It says that she goes out and hews her seven pillars. That's like cutting them and then setting them up. A house, this would have been massive house that Solomon is envisioning. A house, oh, excuse me, goodness. A house that has seven pillars would have been huge. It would have been massive. Like she would have been building a house large enough for anyone who would want to come, to come into that house and to live there, to dine there, to have this feast. She's, she's taking, uh, putting a lot of effort into even just the construction of this house where she wants to invite people. And then she goes to, in verse 2, you see her preparation continues, that she slaughters her animals. Yours may say sacrifices animals. And that she's preparing meat for her guests, which may have been a luxury for them. She's preparing meat, her animals. She is sacrificing them, killing them, preparing them for the guests that would come. And when it says that she mixed her wine, we may be tempted to think that that's like a way to get away with like watering it down, like adding water to the soup or something like that, like added water to the wine to water it down. When this is talking about mixing it, it's actually making it better. It would have been like adding honey or herbs, things like that into their wine that would have made it sweeter and more pleasant for the guests who would come. And then verse 2 ends by saying that she set the table. So she has done all of this work. She's built the house. She's killed the animals. She's gotten the wine ready. She's set the table. And then you see when it comes to the gathering of guests and getting people to come to her that she goes to them. She goes out and pursues them, right? And she doesn't just do it as one person. She wants as many people as possible to come and learn wisdom and to grow in wisdom. So verse 3 says she sends out the ladies of her house to go all around the city and to call out to people who are simple, saying, hey, turn into this house. Come into Lady Wisdom's house. She's ready for you. And so she wants anybody who will come to come. And so she sends out messengers. And then her invitation to them, what she is telling them to do, she invites them, verse 5, she says, eat of my bread, drink of the wine I've mixed. And we already know she has meat available from verse 2. So it's like this feast she's inviting them into, not some shoddy meal, like some glorious thing that she's inviting them to come to. In verse 6, though, she says, leave your simple ways. And so she's wanting them to turn away from their foolish, their, their simplistic ways of living and to come to learn from her. And note in verse 6, she says, leave your simple ways and live. That's ultimately what she's offering them as life. And if you look down in verse 11, which we don't have a ton of time to elaborate on, what she is promising them is long life and health in their life and a, a, a blessing that will come to them if they will turn and listen to her. It's not just to have a nice meal and nice wine. It's to have life. It's to have the life that God intended them to have as his creation. And she is honest. We're going to see Lady Folly is not honest. She, Lady Folly cannot deliver on what she says she'll offer her guests. But Lady Wisdom can. She's prepared this place. She is offering them life. And she can deliver, as we see in verse 11, that people's days will be multiplied if they come to her house and years added to their life. Uh, that there will be this blessing that comes to those who take her up on her invitation. 
And again, this is not an actual lady. This is to be symbolic of those who are wise, whether it's Solomon himself as he was teaching or whether it's parents who are teaching or now as we're in the church age, pastors and teachers and disciplers who are teaching. This is to represent those who are wise, investing in those who are not, those who are fools or those who are simple. And the, the dad in the, in the book of Proverbs has been appealing to his sons throughout, this is not the first time, to listen to the wise people in your life, whether it was him and his wife as their parents or whether it was to others, to listen to the wise. And here he has the final culmination of this, this lady wisdom offering uh, two guests to come and listen to her. Because God's wisdom, I want to think about this a little bit, God's wisdom, his teaching of us how to live in this world typically comes through humans. It, typically, it comes through this book first and foremost, but often it comes, the direction, the wisdom of God comes through actual people in your life. Whether it's your mom and your dad, or your friend, or your coworker, or your pastor, your counselor, your life group member, your Sunday school teacher, God's wisdom comes through human beings. And Solomon wants his sons, and God would want us to be on the lookout for who are the wise people in my life. Like, who are the people that God will be giving me wisdom through, and who may be people that are leading me into foolishness? He wants us to be on the lookout for those, and then when we know who they are, to listen, to pay attention to them, to, to sit at their feet and learn from them, like these folks were coming to Lady Wisdom. But that begs the question of how do we know who those people are? Like, if we're supposed to listen to them, how do I know who is wise and who's not? Thankfully, we're not just left to wonder that and to speculate whenever I come across a person, is this person really wise or is that person a fool? Like, do I need to listen to them or not? We're not just left to wonder. I think there's some sense in which we just have an intuitive sense of who is worth following and who's not. There is a conscience that God's given to us, a, a natural ability to see what is right and what's wrong. Uh, I may compare that when you hear somebody's voice Imagine back before cell phones were invented, okay, if, if you were alive back then. I know some kids may not be. Uh, but it used to be when the phone would ring, you would pick it up. You'd have no idea who was on the other end, right? And you would pick it up. But before they would even say anything, often you could tell who it was, right? Just by the sound of their voice. There's something about a voice, it's, I think this is correct, a, a term called the timbre of somebody's voice, where it's like, even if it's the same pitch, same volume, there's some unique like, feel to that person's voice that you can just tell, oh, this is Fred. Uh, this, is, this is this person. Like, this is who I'm talking to, where we have this intuitive sense of who this person is and whether they're trustworthy or not then I think the same can be true of when it comes to the voice of the Lord or the voice of the enemy. But we ought to not just depend on our own intuition because we can be fooled. I have been fooled many times in thinking somebody is a voice of the Lord in my life and they ultimately are shown to not. Or someone is such a fool, I think, like my mom or dad, but they ultimately are, are shown to be very wise in what they are saying to me. So we don't just rely on our own perspective like, hey, trustworthy person, not trustworthy person. Ultimately, we need to listen to the content of what the person is saying, right? Not just what feels right or feels trustworthy to us, but what are they actually telling me? What are they actually calling me to do or telling me to believe or telling me to feel? 
Like the content of what someone says, the, the words, the ideas are what matter most in showing whether they are trustworthy and a, a voice of wisdom or whether they are a voice of folly. And the way that you can judge the content of their words is very simply, and this ought to be no surprise to us, is does their words match with what God's word says? And I don't care how wise you think a person is, if they are calling you to do something that God has called you to not, they are a fool, and you would be a fool to listen to them. And I don't care how foolish you think somebody is, if they're calling you to do something that God's word has told you to do, has told you to believe, they are wise, and you are called to listen to them, even if that's not your natural inclination. Every voice we hear must ultimately be subjected to the word of God. And is that person's counsel aligning with this and with what God has said, or is it not? And that becomes our ultimate test of whether to listen to this person or not. And so once you run people through that test, like are they teaching me according to the word of God, when you find wise people who are calling you to obey God's word, listen to them. Like soak up everything that you can from that person and to learn from them and what they have experienced and what they have gleaned from God's word. That may be all sorts of different people. That might be your parents. For most of us, that's where wisdom comes to us first is through mom or dad. It may be through a pastor or a mentor or a friend, a fellow life group member. Uh, it may be a, a neighbor who's a strong believer. But when there are wise people in your life who are speaking the very words of God to you and the counsel they're giving you lines up with that, start listening to them. Pay attention to what they have to say. Ask them questions and listen to them. Even if their initial counsel ruffles against what your natural bent is, listen to them. Before we move on to Lady Fall, I want to point out one thing, though, is that we are called to listen to the wise. That is very evident. But I want us to see this implication in this passage that we are also called to be the voice of wisdom for others. We are, every one of us is called to listen to wise people. I don't care if you're five or you're 80 in here. You are called to listen to wise people. But for many of us in the room, if we've started to receive wisdom from God, if we've been living in this house of wisdom and learning and growing, you are called to share that with others. You are not called to just sit on that and delight in this feast. You are called to be like a messenger that she sent out to go out and call more people to come and listen to wisdom. To take what you've learned and the beauty you've seen in her house and go tell others to come in and follow. That is a responsibility that we have as, as parents, as pastors certainly, but as every Christian. We have a responsibility to not just listen to the voice of wisdom, but be the voice of wisdom to others. I particularly commend parents on this, that we, especially if we have kids in our house, we are to be a voice of wisdom to them. We are not just to be like a provider of money and shelter and education to them. We are to be a voice of God speaking into their life, cautioning them against the way of folly and urging them to follow after the wise ways of Christ. Because we're going to see in a second, woman folly is vying for the souls of our kids just as Lady Wisdom is. Like their souls are valuable. And Satan knows that. Evil beings know that. The world knows that. And they are being vied for. And if we just sit passively as parents, we are doing our children a disservice. And we are making them be even more inclined to listen to foolishness. If we're not giving them wisdom in place of it. If we're not calling them to obey the Lord in place of it. 
So parents, we are called to do that. There's a camp out that we're doing later this month in July on a Friday and a Saturday. Listen, I do not like camping a whole lot, but I am coming to that and I'm bringing my kids to it. And if you don't like camping, you don't have to stay overnight. You can leave and come back on Saturday. But that event we're setting up, Jordan Weddle is directing it. it. It is set up to try to have families do something together where they're coming around the Word of God and where it's setting trajectories of, hey, we want to study the Word of God together. We want to, to learn together the ways of the Lord. Like, if you are a parent, I would commend you come to that. If you haven't been doing that, let that be a spark to you. Say, hey, I want to come to that and let that be a starting place for me to be the voice of wisdom to my children not just a voice of discipline and economic provision but I want to be a voice of the Lord in my children's life but if you are also an older person in our congregation maybe you've never had children maybe your children are out of your house I would commend to you to take seriously the responsibility to be a voice of wisdom in our church as well to not just take the wisdom that you've gleaned and sit on it, but seek out opportunities. I would be glad, I know any of the pastors would be glad to talk with you about what are ways that you can be investing in those generationally who are coming behind you to pass on wisdom to them. We are wanting to expand our reach as a church into the community and to see more people come to faith and to see more people be involved in our congregation. And that means we need more people to care for those people and to give counsel to them and to give input to their lives, to call them to Christ and help them see see how to live. If you are an older person in our congregation, please do not sit on the wisdom God has given you, but work with us and find ways to share that with those who are simpler, those who are further behind uh, in life than you. So we need to listen to the voice of the wise and in some sense be the voice of wisdom as well for God's people. But I want to jump down now to this second poem, verse 13 through 18. We're going to see some similarities here. These are set up very similar on purpose, but they're very different as far as what they're depicting as well. And here I think we're going to see that we need to ignore the voice of fools. We need to ignore the voice of Lady Folly, even as she's calling out to us. So read with me verses 13 to 18. It says, The woman Folly is loud. She is seductive and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat on the highest places of the town, calling to those who pass by, who are going straight on their way. And then you see this same phrasing as earlier. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, and this is her selling point, she says, stolen water is sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But, and this is talking about the one she's speaking to, he does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. So we see here a very different picture, a very different tactic, but it's just as real. Uh, as there's a voice of wisdom that's calling out to us as human beings, there's also a voice of foolishness. And this woman uses the very same terms, that whoever's simple, let him turn in here. She's used, her, there's one author who said, her zeal to make converts is just as zealous, just as strong as Lady Wisdom's. Like she wants people just as badly to come and follow her ways, to come into her house. But note, she is a fool herself. Did you notice that? In verse 14, or verse 13, excuse me. It says she's loud, she's seductive, and then there's this phrase, she knows nothing. 
So that doesn't mean like she's not clever and crafty. She is clever, even on how she's going to sell these people to come, sell us to come listen to her. But she is not wise. She knows nothing when it comes to the fear of the Lord that was talked about a few verses before. She is a fool herself calling other fools to come follow after her. And you see some differences of how she prepared and what she did. Wisdom, we saw, built the house. She got these pillars, uh, built this house, slaughters animals, uh, prepares wine, sets the table. All we see here, Lady Folly doing, is verse 14. She sits at the door of her house. That's all that is said. She just sits at the door of her house. It's, it's, there's no preparation. We're going to see that all she really offers is water and bread. It's not this feast that, that Lady Wisdom is offering. And you see, as Lady Wisdom went and pursued people, she sent messengers out to say, hey, come learn wisdom. Come, I'll receive any of you who want to come. What Lady Folly does is just says that she calls to those who pass by. Verse 15, she does not care about these people. Like she's not going to try to find them and like trying to invest in them and bring healing to them and health to them. She's just seeing whoever's passing by and she wants them to come into her house for herself. Like she does not have their interest in mind. She just wants them to come for her own enjoyment, for her own pleasure. Is why she wants them to come in. She'll just take whatever she can get. And without being too direct, I... I hope this makes sense. The verse 17, when she says, talks about stolen water that she's inviting people to come into, that is a euphemism, I believe, if you know what that means, for like a sexual encounter with her. You can go back earlier in Proverbs and read about this same lady who's trying to appeal to people to come and be with her. And so as one author said that Lady Wisdom invited guests to school. Lady Folly invited them to bed. Like all she's wanting is them to come and bring her delight and to, to serve her. And you see, though, that, that her selling point, her invitation, the thing that she appeals to them with is ver- in verse 17, that part I was just talking about, where she says this stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. So even though she just has bread and water, this kind of shoddy provision for them, what she is appealing to them with isn't the quality of what she's giving, but it's how they feel when they're there. Like that it's this secretive thing that brings some weird, twisted form of delight. It's this forbidden thing that brings some sort of sweetness to it that, that is very real, but is also very wrong. And so her, her appeal is this momentary experience, this momentary pleasure and this is an echo, isn't it, of the Garden of Eden, where uh, Satan, when he comes to Eve and, and to Adam, presumably, and, and he speaks to them, he's trying to, to discount what God has said and the warnings that God is there, but he's also trying to bait them to see how pleasurable the tree of knowledge of good and evil is, that, that it would be sweet, that it's desirable. You see that word in Genesis chapter 3. And he, he tries to sell them on that. And she's doing the same. I, I want us to realize that sin actually does have appeal to it. Sometimes when we grow up in church, we, we are taught that sin has zero appeal to it. That's just this vile, disgusting thing, which it is, but that there's, there's no pleasure that comes in it. But that is not what the Bible teaches. She is selling this young person. She, folly sells us on the pleasure of sin. 
It is real. Like the Bible, read in Hebrews, uh, it talks about the fleeting pleasures of sin. That is the Bible speaking. That there is some momentary sweetness that comes in doing wrong and leading, going down foolish paths. But what, what we see here in verse 18, though, she is selling them on the sweetness, the, the weird, twisted delight in doing wrong. In verse 18, you see that sweetness is short-lived because it's implied that if he was to walk into that house or when he walks into that house, it's not going to be some party and, and great joy that's in there. There is death. There are dead bodies in there. It is a way that leads to hell itself. And... Satan loves to bait us. He loves to bait us with the momentary pleasure of sin, the, the delight that comes to us from disobeying God, of following the voice of fools. And he helps us, here. he tricks us into forgetting that that hook that has that nice worm on it is a hook. And when we bite it, it may be pleasurable for a second, but that hook is set and we are getting drugged into destruction. We are getting drugged into death. But we are fools because we just see the momentary pleasure that is there and we run after it. That is the tendency of our human heart. And we need people to call out to us, don't bite that hook. Do not go after that cheap, shoddy, momentary pleasure that comes. Remember the commands of God and remember the promises that he offers you are way better. The delight that he offers to you is far surpassing that. I was thinking yesterday, this is somewhat of a, a cheesy illustration, but I was thinking about fireworks. I don't know how many of you watched the fireworks last night, but I still, to some degree, don't like fireworks. I feel like a little kid. I get a little bit scared of like, stuff. But if you think of fireworks, uh, there's, what kids typically like is the bright, shiny part, right? Like the boom in the sky, like that they can see all these colors sparkling and whatnot. But what scares kids is the, sound, the boom that comes after it, right? And those don't come at the same time. Like light comes first and you see the like, ooh, like this is awesome. Like this is very delightful. Then you hear the pound of that, that uh, burst of noise that comes that like rattles kids. And that is in some ways a small little picture of what sin does. That we have this momentary pleasure that comes in the moment when we do something that we know is forbidden, when we do something we know God is not calling us to do, but we forget there is a boom coming. Like you see this throughout Proverbs, that there is judgment of God that comes to us if we don't turn away from our sin. If we keep delighting in that over and over, there is judgment that comes for us. There is a, a boom that will be laid on us. It is a haunting thing. And Solomon wants his sons, and God wants us to see that. That we have this world that will appeal to us. We have these voices we will hear. You are hearing today voices of fools who are calling you to listen to them, calling you to do what they want you to do. But we need to be wary of their tactics, to be wary that they're not telling us the whole truth. They're selling us on something that will not last, that will not delight us. I remember as a kid, the, those voices of foolishness that, that would... would call on me or tempt me to like do simple what seems simple now like cheat on a test or like to steal something a little from a store or to to make fun of another person secretively uh, there's these little things that uh, that appeal to us that it's this this worm that's on a hook this bait uh, that I was tempted to buy into 
But there are things as we get older and more sophisticated, there's still voices of fools, foolish voices that cause to walk away from the Lord and the way he's called us to live. There are advertisements, are probably the most obvious, simple example that, that teach us to be enamored with the latest possessions, the latest fads, the latest clothes, the latest cars, the latest jewelry, and, and ask, acting as if, if we'll give all our money over to that, it'll make us happy. And it may in the moment, but it will not bring you lasting pleasure. There are movies that depict glamour and, and violence or sexual liberty or wealth as a valuable pursuit to the negligence of the commands of God, and we're tempted to buy into that view. There's coaches who will cause to sacrifice everything in our life for the advancement of a team or to get some college scholarship or to win some championship. And we've, we may achieve those things and we realize they are empty and I, I'm left longing for something else. There's bosses who will sell you on the perpetual climb up a corporate ladder and make you sacrifice time with church and with family to, to advance up the corporate ladder to find yourself empty at the end of your life. There's politicians who will, will call you to give your life to politics and to see the answer to society's ills in the Republican Party or the Democratic Party. And they are, are giving all of your time and allegiance to those things and not to Christ. And as tragic as this is, and maybe there are some who are even dealing with this now, even in recent weeks, I, I've known where there is a, a relational, a, a romantic connection that can develop between people where a voice of a fool comes through a neighbor or a co-worker, or someone who slowly pushes the envelope relationally with you and, and gets you to be more and more endeared to them until you are so enamored with them that you're willing to forsake the vows that you've made and you go after and live with another person. This happens all the time. We hear all sorts of small voices of foolishness and large voices of foolishness, and we buy the lie that those things will satisfy and we need to be wise to know that and to be aware that there is a hook behind that. This is why it's important to be involved in Christian community. Uh, there are so many of us who think we are so wise that I can just hear the voice of fools and I can deal with it and I can filter it and I, I don't need help doing that. But we are fools if we think we're strong enough to do that. There is a, a famous story, The Odyssey, which is very long and I was forced to read in high school and I don't remember much of it, uh, but I remember one scene because it's very picturesque where uh, there's this man, Odysseus, uh, and he's seeking to be home. That's really the whole story. Uh, but he's on the, on the sea with his crew and there's these mythological creatures that were called sirens. Uh, who had these beautiful voices and they would, they would sing out for sailors or whoever was going by to come over and, and to listen to them and to come nearby them and then they would devour them. They would crush them when they would come. And Odysseus knew this. Somebody had told him, hey, these sirens are going to call out for you, but they want to destroy you. They wanna, uh, they're going to sound sweet, I promise, but, but they will destroy you. And so what Odysseus did was he had uh, his crew put wax in their ears so they wouldn't be able to hear the voices of these sirens and then he said hey I want to hear what it sounds like but I know I'm going to want to turn this ship I'm, I'm going to want to go over to hear them so tie me to the mast tie me here because I want to hear it but I don't want to die and 
he, thankfully he at least had wisdom to do that because when he heard those things he everything in him wanted to go after that and to turn and go to listen to those sirens and even though he knew destruction was coming he wanted to go and be near to them just so he could hear but thankfully those those uh, sailors kept him from doing so and they they followed the counsel that he had given and they they helped him remember you cannot go there like it is death that is coming to you that's a vivid picture of how we need to be as God's people, that when we see one another, because this does happen, like when we see each other start to be enamored with foolishness and the temporary pleasure that can come in this life, we need to be the voices who are saying, that is a fleeting pleasure, destruction. Death is in her house. Like this is destruction that's coming to you. I'm cautioning you, turn back to Christ and remember what you have in him. We need to be that for one another and have Christians in our life who can speak that way to us and that we can share as well. The Bible very clearly talks about the fleeting pleasures of sin in Hebrews chapter 11, 25, but it also talks about Psalm 16 as an example, verse 11 talks to God says you make known to me the path of life in your presence there is fullness of joy at your right hand are pleasures forevermore and so he's talking the psalmist is talking about how when we are with the Lord when we are in his house when we are with his people there is fullness of joy and it is eternal joy that comes to us it's not this shallow pleasure that comes from disobedience and foolishness it is a permanent delight that we get when we come to be with the Lord we're going to sing another song together here in a moment, but I wanted to, to maybe correct one idea we may get from this passage that is wrong, that we may think of ourselves simply as neutral people, uh, who we're kind of walking down this path or whatever, and we have this house of wisdom over here and this house of foolishness over here, and kind of we're like this customer who like this, I need to listen to you, I need to listen to you and make a decision, but we are not neutral. You read the rest of the Bible and you see our hearts are bent towards wanting to follow folly. That, that, that her call is far more appealing to us than the call of wisdom when we are left to ourselves. And when, when we are tempted, James says that we, in chapter 1, verse 14, when we are tempted, it's not just something outside of us, like we can blame all those people. He says that we're lured and enticed by our own desires. There's something within us that is twisted and that wants to go after folly that wants to go after foolishness. And maybe for many of us, we have done that for a long season. We have followed foolishness. We have listened to the voice of folly. We, none of us deserve to be invited to the house of wisdom. None of us deserve to be invited into the kingdom of God, the kingdom of Christ. But he comes to us nonetheless as sinful fools. Like who are either at least tempted to go into the house of folly. And many of us who have taken up residence there. Like he has sent messengers throughout time now to come to us, a real person. He has sent people to come to us with the message of invitation to say, hey, I know you've been a fool. I, you have nothing good to offer me, but I want you to come into my house. And there is a voice. There, these seem like rival voices. And in the Garden of Eden, it seems like maybe there's rival voices. But in the end of time and even today, there is no rival to the voice of Jesus. Like he, he is not some alternative you can consider and just consider some other ways. He is the Lord of the universe, like who calls you to listen to him, who has been crucified for you, who didn't just slaughter animals for some meal, but allowed himself to be sacrificed on the cross for your sins and for mine. 
He's not just some noble person. He is the Lord of the universe who's been raised from the dead and reigns over everything, not just some seven-pillar house, but reigns over the entire universe and invites you to be part of a kingdom that he is setting up for eternity, not just some party for a night. And he invites you not because you are good and not because you're wise. It's in spite of you being a fool, in spite of me being a fool, he still invites you. And you can come in because he has been crucified for you and raised from the dead. And he invites you today. If you've never taken him up on this invitation, he invites you today. He calls out to you today to come across the street. Stop listening to Lady Folly and all of her crew that speak to you and start listening to him. Start listening to his people and living in his ways of wisdom.